After this great chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 12 begins with, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Well, who are those great cloud of witnesses? They're the people that they've talked about in chapter 11. These people of the Old Testament whose example becomes for us an example to encourage us and to inspire us to turn our backs on anything that would entangle us, anything that would keep us from the right thing, the, the greatest priority of our lives, which is to love God and to serve him. There's a story of a woman that some of you are familiar with. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. And when Johnny was just 17 years old, she was diving and she broke her neck and it left her a quadriplegic. She was in the hospital for many, many months, and she came at times where she just didn't want to live any longer. It was a body that she felt trapped in that wasn't going to work like it was supposed to work. But she made a decision. That decision was to live for the Lord and to serve the Lord with the rest of her life. When I read the story of Joseph, I think about Johnny's story. I think about her life. Joseph was a man who was trapped. He was a man who suffered great injustice. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers who were jealous of him. They told their father that Joseph had been consumed, he'd been eaten, he'd been attacked by a wild beast. So his father would never look for him. He was sold to these Ishmaelites who took him down to Egypt where they sold him to this rich man named Potiphar. And Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's home. He was stuck. There was nothing he could do to change his circumstances. But like Johnny, he made a decision not to give up, but rather to seek to honor the Lord right there in those circumstances. And then he's wrongly accused. He's sent to prison. In fact, for 13 years from age 17 to age 30, Joseph would have no control over his life. He was a slave, and then he was a prisoner in Egypt. As I was thinking about Joseph's story, a story that has encouraged me over the years, a, a story that has challenged me over the years. At times when I felt stuck in my life, I remember the story of Johnny. I remember the story of Joseph. I remember this great cloud of witnesses whose life example empowered me and strengthened me to live a life that honors him. Some of you this morning might feel stuck in your life, and you can relate to what Joseph went through. Some of you here this morning have been victims of injustice and you're frustrated. And I want to give you today, through the story of Joseph, I want to give you a word of hope. This is a series that we're calling Snapshots, where we're just taking a snapshot, one chapter often, 
out of the lives of different people of the Old Testament. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, there are many chapters on the life of Joseph. We are just taking a snapshot from his life, and we're taking a theme from that snapshot, and we're letting his life example as one of that great cloud of witnesses to encourage us, to challenge us, to live lives that honor God, and to live the life that we were created to live. I was thinking about some of the different ways that people might feel trapped today, and maybe some of you feel trapped today. I'm just going to mention a few, and it may not connect with where you feel trapped in your life, but that is equally valid as we look at the story of Joseph from Genesis 39 this morning. But maybe for you, it's a job. Oh, you just get up, Sundays, you begin to think about it. You don't want to go back. Monday morning comes, and you just feel stuck. There's nothing you can do to change your situation. It's a job that you don't feel fulfilled. It's a job where you feel like Joseph. You're really just kind of a slave because you need that paycheck. Maybe it's in a marriage this morning. You're married, and you just feel stuck. That marriage just doesn't seem to be growing. It doesn't seem to be getting any better. It doesn't seem to be changing. And so you just feel stuck this morning. Maybe like Johnny Erickson Tata, you feel stuck in a body that isn't working like it should. Maybe you're, you're getting older and you're not able to do the things you used to be able to do. Or, or maybe, maybe you're sick and you don't know what the future holds and you're stuck Maybe you're, you're stuck in an emotion like depression or anxiety that is just haunting you, and it chases you everywhere you go, and you're just struggling with that. Maybe for you, you're stuck financially. You're in a situation where you want stability, but there's nothing you can do to change that circumstance. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're retired today, and, and you just you feel stuck. You are so productive in your life, but what can I do now? Maybe you're st a student. I asked my, um, Beth and I are watching our two little granddaughters this weekend, and I asked one of them, she's four years old in preschool, and I said, Mila, honey, how do you like school? You ready for this? Boring. <laughs> Boring? You get to paint all day. Recess every 20 minutes. You get nap time. I would kill for nap time. Boring. And maybe you're a student today and you just feel kind of trapped in your situation. Maybe you're in a, a, a family situation where things aren't going well. And you just wonder if it's ever going to be different. Maybe you're single today and you just long to be uh, married. You long to be a mom or a dad, but as you look at your life right now, you don't see any possibilities and you feel stuck. Friends, we often feel stuck in our lives. This is just a reality of our human condition. And if anybody felt stuck, it would have been Johnny Erickson Tata. If anybody would feel stuck, it would be Joseph. But what we're going to see in this second week of our series called Snapshots, what we're going to see in the life of Joseph is how to live, how to live in a time 
when you are feeling stuck in some area of your life. And I want you to be as encouraged as I was. I want you to be as strengthened as I was as I looked at his example. And so I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn to Genesis chapter 39. And as you're doing that, I want to share with you just some common responses that I've seen in the lives of people, that I've seen in the Bible, that I've seen in my own life, when people feel stuck. One thing that they do is they give in to despair and hopelessness. They think, my situation is never going to change. I'm just going to live it out. I, I just give up. I'm not going to change. I, this is just the way it's always going to be. And we give in to despair and hopelessness. A second thing that we often to do is we get bitter. We get bitter at God. Because we want him to change our situation, but our situation isn't changing. We get bitter at other people because they don't understand our situation, and we get impatient with them. And some of you can relate to that. A third thing that we do is that we, we bury our sorrow and our disappointments and our feeling um, like life is unfair, and we bury that in addictions. Maybe it's an addiction to good things like work. Maybe it's an addiction to things like alcohol and drugs or to sex or to other things that we can find that we just bury ourselves and lose ourselves in these things so that we might feel better. There's a fourth option, and that was the option that Joseph chose. It's the option that Johnny Erickson Tata chose and I want to encourage you today that this is an option that you can choose. That you can choose. As you allow the life of Joseph to speak into your life today, one of those great cloud of witnesses. Now today, life may be going great for you, but that there may come a day when you feel stuck. Or you may know somebody right now who is stuck. And God can use you to encourage them. Well, let's look at Joseph and asking the question, how do we live faithfully and successfully and when we feel stuck in our lives? And here's the first thing I want you to see. And this may seem like a basic truth, but I want to tell you, I know lots of people who will say that to me, but their heart doesn't engage in this reality. So you can say, yeah, I believe that, but really, deep down, you don't believe it. Where is God in the midst of this? Is a cry that I often hear from people. It's a cry that I have voiced in my own life. God, where are you? Here's the truth. God has not abandoned you. God had not abandoned me. And God had not abandoned Joseph. Thirteen years he was stuck as a slave and as a prisoner wrongly accused, no control over his situation and his circumstances, nothing he could do to be free. And yet Joseph lived powerfully. Joseph lived effectively. He lived a life that would make an eternal difference in the world. So let's see what happened there. Remember that the Lord has not abandoned you. Verse 39, uh, chapter 39, verse 2 
the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Verses 20 and 21. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, I want you to hear this. How do we know that this is true? How do we know that this was Joseph's situation? Because Joseph told us that was his situation. The reason we know this story is because Joseph told his story and passed his story on. So it's from Joseph's perspective that the Lord had favored him. It was from Joseph's perspective that the Lord was with him and that the Lord in this place of feeling stuck called prison, in this very place, the Lord was kind to him. He experienced the kindness of God. Now, we don't know. I'd love to know more about that. Joseph, what did that look like? Well, he doesn't say. But we know that he experienced the kindness of God and favor among the people in the prison, the warden and other prisoners. This is extraordinary. In fact, hear this. Seven times in Genesis 39 which is a, is a story of a man who was a victim of injustice, the story of a man who was stuck in his life. Seven times we read these words, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And again, how do we know that? Because Joseph told the next generation. Joseph told people what had happened to him. And he let them know, the Lord was with me. The Lord was with me. You see, as you've often heard me say, we judge our circumstances not by what we know is true about God, but by what we feel and what we're going through. Oh, I'm going through a hard time. Well, God must not be there. Oh, I'm going through a disappointing time, or I'm stuck, or I've the victim of injustice. Well, God must have abandoned me. And so what happens if I believe that God has abandoned me? I'll tell you what happens because I've seen it many, many times and I've drifted in that direction myself at times in my life. When we begin to experience that and we start to believe that, we grow bitter toward God. What have I done to deserve this? This is unfair. This is unkind. This is unjust. Where are you? Why would you let this happen? Why wouldn't you change things? Why wouldn't you intervene? Why wouldn't you stop it? And another way we respond, because we're angry at God, we just say, forget you. I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to do what I want to do in my life. You're not taking care of me. I'll do what I want to do. That wasn't Joseph, as you'll see in just a moment. Joseph knew and believed that the Lord had not abandoned him. Believing that, now look at the difference. If I believe the Lord has not abandoned me, here's what I believe. God has a purpose and a design for the very thing that I'm going through. Romans 8, 28 reminds us 
that because we are God's children, he will use every circumstance in our lives, even those times when we're the victim of injustice, even those times we feel stuck, he will use those very situations to change the world and to change us. As I look back over my life and I look at some of those situations where I wondered where God was, it's those very situations that I'm most thankful for in my life. Because I see now what God did through it. In a moment we'll hear what God did through these 13 years in the life of Joseph. Friends, the Bible teaches and I believe that God never wastes an experience. He never wastes a situation. But he uses it to perfect us. He uses it to grow us. He uses it to strengthen us. He uses it to make us into something new and to change the world because of it. So Joseph, Joseph, he saw the presence of God. He knew God had not abandoned him. He knew that God was there. He knew that God was present. Seven times in a chapter that only talks about his being stuck and powerless. What do we see in Joseph? He understood that God was there and he saw the hand of God. He saw the hand of God. Now it didn't free him from Potiphar's house. It didn't send him back home to Canaan where, to be with his father again. It sent him as a slave and then it sent him as a prisoner in jail. But Joseph continued to see the favor of God. I want to ask you, when you're struggling, what are you believing about God? What are you thinking about God? It will change everything. It will change what you feel. It will change how you live. I know because I've experienced both sides of that coin. Here's a second thing that I want you to see. How do we live effectively when we feel stuck in life or we've been the victim of injustice? God will bless you through your own hard work. This was something that I really struck me and really gripped me this week as I prayed about this and as I studied this passage. And this is, this is what I saw in this. There are two types of extremes. Two types of extremes in people. Some who believe that they don't, aren't to do anything and just wait for God to do everything. Now, some drift in that direction. You may not be extreme, but you may drift in that direction. I'm never going to apply for a job, I'm never going to, it's got to come to me. God's got to open up that door. I've got to just experience what I'm going to experience and I'll let God do whatever he wants to do. The other is, it's all up to me. That's the other extreme. I've got to do everything. I've got to work hard and create my opportunities. God's not, I don't expect God to do it. Now, let me say this. There's some truth in both extremes. God is in control. He will open doors. But what's clear in the Bible is that we are to work hard. We are to invest ourselves in the situations that we find ourselves in. There's a phrase that I've always loved. It says, bloom where you are planted. 
bloom where you are planted. The pastor, I'm, I have cancer. Bloom where you are planted. The pastor, I was the victim of injustice. Bloom where you are planted. The pastor, I have a job that I hate. Bloom where you are planted. Listen to what we read. And this is what you see throughout the story of Joseph. So Potiphar, remember Potiphar is the powerful Egyptian man who bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites. And he, so he's a slave, and Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's home. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Isn't that remarkable? Now, Joseph would have been at a huge disadvantage. He had been taken down from the land of Canaan and planted in Egypt. He didn't know the language. He didn't know the culture. How easy it would have been to just do the bare minimum. That's not who Joseph was, and it's not how God calls us to live. God blessed him through the efforts of Joseph. Friends, we, we looked at this a couple weeks ago when we talked about if God's in charge of everything, why should I even pray? And what we said was, there are things that happened. God foreknew that we would pray, and he orchestrated the world in such a way that through our prayer, the world was different. In the same way, God knew how Joseph would respond, and he blessed Joseph through the hard work that he engaged so that Joseph rose in the house of Potiphar. Joseph rose when he was in prison to a position of prominence and then ended up rising to a position of prominence in Egypt. Why? Because Joseph did not wallow in self-pity. Joseph did not complain about his circumstance, but he bloomed where he was planted. He believed that he was there because of the hand of God, as we read later in the story in Genesis. He says, it's by the hand of God that I have experienced these things. And so what did he do? What did he do? He worked hard in his situation and found favor in the Lord. And fa the favor of Potiphar and then the favor of the warden in the prison. He worked hard. Now what happens so often when we feel stuck, we we just grow despondent, and we just give up. That's the very time we need to engage. That's the very time that we need to give it our best. If you're a student who's four years old and school is boring, oh, I had so many things go through my head in response to that. Honey, you think that's bad? Let me tell you. What if, what if you decided to apply yourself and do the very best that you could do to honor God? What if, what if, instead of just saying, oh, I, this job is a nothing job, a go-nowhere job anyways, I'm, not, I'm just going to get through it. What if you did what Joseph did and applied yourself to honor God by doing the very best that you could do in the place where you are right now? Maybe that's being a student. Maybe that's going through cancer. Maybe that's in a difficult marriage. 
Maybe that's in a job that you don't really like. What if you said today, I am going to do the very best that I can do and, I'm, and see what God will do? This is a remarkable, remarkable account. He finds favor because of the work of the Lord and the, his own personal work. Martin Luther, when he wrote about Genesis chapter 39, he said this, I've got a feeling that Joseph was the first person up in the morning and the last person to go to bed because he applied himself. I'm going to tell you who are married. I'm going to tell you a secret to marriage. You might want to write this down. It doesn't just happen. Good marriages don't just happen. They don't just happen. Good marriages are the result of the commitment of two people to grow, to learn, to love each other. Now, I got to think I'm the easiest person in the world to be married to. Yeah, stop it. So my wife, I can say that because my wife's uh, volunteering in the nursery this morning. But I got to tell you, we work at our marriage because we want our marriage to be great. It's not just up to God. I want my marriage to be great. And we find fa the favor of God through the work that we do. I work as hard as I can as a pastor, as a son, as a father. I work as hard as I can. And I find the favor of the Lord through my work. That God favors us when we seek to honor him through the hard work that we engage in. Friends, it's the best way to get through these times. Because instead of wallowing in self-pity, I'm saying, you know what, God? This is where you've planted me now in my life, but I am going to work. And I'm going to honor you in the very place that I am. Here's the third thing that I want you to see. Commit to honor God in everything that you do. Commit to honor the Lord in everything that you do. I'm not going to say a lot about this, but in this portion, this is where Potiphar's wife reaches out to him, tries to get Joseph to be with her. He refuses. He refuses. He won't do it. He won't because, because he's afraid of Potiphar. Is that why? No. Is it because he wants to honor Potiphar? Well, maybe, but that's not the real reason. After all that he had been through by the hand of God, listen to what it says in verses 8 and 9. But Joseph refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Okay, now listen to this. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? If you have your own Bibles, underline that. How could I, listen to that again, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin 
against God. He's not saying, how could I do that and, and hurt Potiphar? He's not saying, how could I do that and have Potiphar not, uh, not be impressed with me or disappoint Potiphar because he's put so much trust in me? He doesn't say that. He says, how could I do that and sin against God? Potiphar, un- I mean, Joseph understands that sin is always against God. Yes, it has implications in our human relationships often. But it's sin against God, and Joseph understood that. So why, with all of his circumstances being so challenging, and knowing that God is the one who's in charge, how is it that he's able to see this? Because he is walking with God. He is seeking to honor God in his circumstance. I want you to think about where you're stuck today. Are you compromising God's best in that circumstance, in that situation? Are you honoring God in that situation? I was so struck by that. I'm expecting him to say, why would I sin against Potiphar and take his wife? He doesn't say that. Why would I sin against God? I won't do it. What would it look like? If you committed to honor God in everything you do, and then this. This is what happened in prison. When his master in prison saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Think about this. This becomes now a witness of the greatness of God. These are people, Egyptians, who do not worship God. They don't know the true God. Joseph has been taught, you see it all the way through 39, He has been talking about God. He's been talking with them about his God. Listen to this. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. I'm sorry, this this is Potiphar. But listen to this. Listen to this. He is honoring God. And by honoring God, he's a witness for for, for the Lord in his circumstance, so that Potiphar sees it, and later, later, the warden of the prison sees it. And they know that it's because of the true God. He is the reason, the Lord is the reason that he has succeeded. And then finally, I want you to see this. How do we live effectively when we feel stuck in life? We need to commit to live each day in light of our eternal home. Now, This blew me away. When I was a young Christian, very young Christian, I was reading, I started to read at the beginning, right? I was used to, you read a book, you start at the beginning. So I was going through the book of Genesis. And I was reading the story of Joseph. And I remembered somebody saying that Hebrews chapter 11 had these great great pictures of faith of these wonderful people of the Old Testament. I was blown away by the story of Joseph. So I went to Hebrews chapter 11 to find what it said about Joseph because this is an incredible man of faith. Here it is, you ready? Buckle yourself in. It's amazing. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the, exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. I'm like, what? There's all these great things and that's, that's what he's honored for in his faith what is that about here's what it is you ready for this you see 
Joseph lived in Egypt now. He had been taken to Egypt and God had placed him there because there was a great famine that would hit all the land. And through the wisdom that God had given to Joseph, the seven years before the famine hit, he had saved all of this grain. He set aside all of this grain so there'd be enough food for the people. Well, his brothers had not done that. The Jews, his brothers, had not done that. His father had not done that. And so they heard there was grain in Egypt, so they go to Egypt. And they later discover that the man that they're trying to get grain from is the man that they sold into slavery. It's Joseph, their brother. And instead of being bitter, Joseph tells them, it was God who sent me ahead of you for the saving of many lives. Joseph and all the Jews end up in Egypt. But Egypt is not their home. Their home is the land of Canaan that they came from. It's not their home. And so Joseph says, hey, we're not going to end up in Egypt, okay? So I want you to get my bones. They would have been in a, in a box after his body just kind of decomposed. I could say more about it, but I'll just keep going. Take my bones and take them back to Canaan and bury them in the promised land. Now, what does this mean for you and me? This world is not your home. This is our Egypt. We are living in Egypt. We are living in a place that is not our home. Canaan now is heaven for us. And Joseph is making decisions in light of his absolute confidence that one day he's going home again. Now, it's just his bones. And for us, it's even better. We're going to go home and be with the Lord forever and ever. No more crying, no more tears, no more suffering. No more death, no more mourning. We're going home. Joseph lived life in light of the future promise of God. For us as Christians in 2023 here in Chino, California, we are to live every day understanding that this is our Egypt. And we are to live, make decisions in light of our eternity with God. I want to challenge you today. What would your life look like? How different would it be if you did that? I want to close with a quote from Johnny Erickson Tata. What happened on July 30th, 1967 was the beginning of an incredible adventure which I feel compelled to share because of what I have learned. My accident was not a punishment for my wrongdoing, whether or not I deserved it. Only God knows why I was paralyzed. Maybe he knew I'd, I'd be ultimately happier serving him. If I were still on my feet, it's hard to say how things might have gone. I probably would have drifted through life, marriage, maybe even divorce, dissatisfied and disillusioned. When I was in high school, I reacted to life selfishly and never built on any long-lasting values, never lived in light of the kingdom of God. I lived simply for each day in the pleasure I wanted, almost always at the expense of others. 
but now you're happy, a teenage girl asked me. I really am. I wouldn't change my life for anything. I can even tell you that I am privileged. Are you stuck? Can you imagine one day saying to others, I was privileged. I was blessed. I was favored by God. Will you pray with me? Father, I know that there are many here today that in one or more areas of their lives do feel stuck. Others who have been the victim of injustice and pain and heartache and difficulty. Father, my prayer is that you would bring hope to them today through their circumstances as they seek to honor you in their circumstances. Lord, bless them, encourage them, help them to see that they have not been forgotten, that they are not abandoned by you. Help them to understand how they can glorify and honor you in the circumstances that they are living in. And we say thank you, God. Thank you that this is our Egypt, but it, it, because it's not our home. Our home is with you in heaven forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.